This is my story. I grew up in a home where we went to church every Sunday. It was just a thing that we did. My grandfather was a minister who pastored churches at times and even held tent meetings. I remember attending his church in southern Illinois for a short time when I was a child. He was a man who walked with God, who preached that you must be born again. My mother also traveled and did evangelistic work when she started at 18 until her early 30s, her early 20s. She was raised in a pastor's home, and when she was able to leave to serve in ministry, she took that opportunity. Coming from this heritage, we were definitely going to church. On Sundays, we would always get dressed in our church clothes and go to Sunday morning service. Looking back, I can see that church was just a small part of my life. But my mom and dad always believed that we needed to be there. I just thought that it was what we were supposed to do. It wasn't easy growing up. My family moved eight times before I was 10 years old. We lived in four states, and we didn't live in any one of those for a very long time. When I was 10 and going into the fourth grade, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we lived for 10 years. During that time, we attended a Presbyterian church, mainly because it happened to be the closest church to our house. We were faithful every week. My sisters and I even went to the youth group. At that time, I was able to under, understand a little bit more about church and what it was about. My problem was that I didn't pay attention much to the messages. It seemed like they were all the same. I didn't really get much out of them. I liked going to church because I could be with all my friends, but I wasn't learning what it meant to be a follower of Christ. The pastor preached messages on Bible characters and taught that we were to be good people. I was a good person. I didn't get in trouble at home or at school. When I got older, we would go home after church and get ready to watch the Steelers play football. I would turn on TV getting ready for the game and see church services on TV that caused me to stop and to watch. The people in those services really seemed to enjoy church. And what I saw was much livelier than the dry church I was attending. These churches on TV were Pentecostal churches. It was very exciting to see them worship and hear messages that weren't the same every week. For me, that was the start of realizing that there was more to church than what I was experiencing. When I was 19, our family had a tragic event happen with my dad at work. He was fired for doing things that he did not do. He went home early that Friday when he lost his job. My mom was already at home since she got half a days on Friday and she worked in a dental office. When dad got home, he found her in the kitchen and he told her that he had some bad news. She turned around and said, I know, you were fired today. God spoke to her on the way home. Even though they had a close relationship to God, in their early years of marriage, their lives had taken a sharp turn away from God. They knew that they needed to put God first again. That day, my parents went into the living room, knelt down at the couch, repented of their sins, and recommitted their lives back to God. Eventually, my dad was found innocent of the things that the other staff had lied about. However, he decided to go from being a branch manager back into sales and transfer to central Illinois. That meant that after finally settling in one place for 10 years, we were going to move again. But God knew what he was doing, even though we didn't see what was coming. Dad moved to Illinois to start working, 
and after my first year of college, I moved to Jacksonville to stay with him until we were settled in a home. One Saturday, he asked if I wanted to go to church. Of course, I said yes, since going to church was what we did. We went to Calvary Temple on Jefferson Street. This was the first time in a Pentecostal church, and it was similar to what I had seen on TV years earlier. I have to admit, I was a little overwhelmed. A week later, he asked, do I want to attend church again at Calvary? It was the last Sunday in May. Something was happening within me. I didn't know any of the songs during the worship time, but I liked the liveliness of them. The message was about Jesus and what he had done for me. I don't remember many of the details of the message, but at the end of the service, the pastor asked for people to give their lives to God and accept Jesus Christ and what he had done on the cross. I didn't understand it completely, but there was something inside of me that said I needed to do that, that I needed to go down front to the altar. I still remember walking down to the front of that sanctuary. It was that morning that I gave my heart to the Lord. I didn't know what it was all about, but I knew that's what I needed to do. After service, we went back home. My mom hadn't moved to Springfield yet, so I called her in Pittsburgh to tell her what I had done. She was so excited. So was my dad. I was still trying to take it all in. I had become a born-again Christian. If, you've asked, if you had asked me if I was a Christian before that, I would have said yes, because I went to church. I thought that if I died, I would go to heaven simply because I was a good person. That's what I thought Christian, Christianity was. It took some time, but I learned that true Christianity is all about Jesus and what he did on the cross for each of us. I learned that God wants us to have a relationship with us, with me. My mom and younger sister eventually moved to Springfield, and my sister made the same decision to accept Jesus into her heart. From one tragic event came life-altering change for our family. My parents returning to God, my sister and I making decisions to live the rest of our lives following and loving God. It's because of Calvary Church that I'm here today. Christianity means that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior. He died for my sins and has shown me how to live my life for Him. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that I live my life every day for God. God wants more than just Sunday mornings. He wants every day of our lives. Giving my heart to God and following Christ has been the greatest decision of my life, and I continue to make that decision every day to follow God and live after Him. This is my story. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Over the next several weeks, you're going to hear the stories of various people in our fellowship. Next week, we're going to talk about crisis and where is God in the middle of crisis. If you're in a crisis or if you know somebody who's going through a crisis time in their health, in their life, in their finances, invite them to come next Sunday. We're going to talk about what, uh, what God does and where he's at in the middle of crisis. In John chapter 3, it says this in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you eternal things, and you do not believe or if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses li- as Mo- and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, we thank you today for your word that gives us clear insight into who we are and who you are. Bring it alive in us, Father. Let us examine our own salvation today, our own status with you. And Father, let us see and know clearly where we stand with you so that we may be prepared to stand before you someday one-on-one for eternity. Touch us today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. You just heard Paul's testimony, and as Paul and I talked a little bit about this this week, I asked him if, if in those days when he was growing up, if you had asked him if he was a Christian, what would he have said? And he said, I would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, He he said, I I believe that I I was a Christian. See, that is the concerning point right there, is that we can become, you know, family culture, American culture. We can become these people of culture who go to church and believe that our hearts are right with God when they're not. What we have in the book of John is we have this fisherman who was looking for a Messiah. He had first connected, John had first connected with John the Baptist, but when he heard John the Baptist's proclamation about Jesus, he began to follow Jesus. Now, if you, we, we have these ideas about John, but you've got to understand, John was not one of these blend-in kind of guys. He and his brothers would be called by Jesus the sons of thunder. As he followed Jesus, he quickly grew in Jesus' heart, and he was named a disciple, and he became a part of Jesus' even inside of the disciples, the inner circle of three that were very close to Jesus, and he was known even past that as the beloved disciple. 
John had heard Jesus' teaching and saw the miracles that testified to his sonship as the Son of God. And John had begun to see him as the Messiah. And most likely, he thought he was in the right place at the right time. That he was going to uh, uh, be able to be, he wanted to be able to sit on one of the thrones in the earthly kingdom. And when things didn't go the way he thought they, they should, he wanted to call fire down from heaven and destroy a whole city. Uh, but when Jesus began to talk about being handed over to the Pharisees, he was, he was troubled. And, and then when he was with Jesus, the night that he was betrayed in the garden, somebody would grab a hold of the cloak he had around him and he would run off naked into the city. On the worst days of all, he stands at the cross and he watches as Jesus dies on the cross. In those moments as Jesus was dying, Jesus still looked at John and entrusted his mother into John's hands and John brought her into his, into his home. But then... Through the loss and the darkness, there came this morning when the, men, when, when the women came from the tomb and they said it's empty and that Jesus had risen. And John runs to the tomb and he looks into the tomb and he believes. He sees it and he believes. He sees what has happened. He, he, he will come in the next days to understand as Jesus returns and, and talks to them and teaches them that Jesus is the Lamb of God sent to pay the price for all of our sin so that all of us could have eternal life. He believes, he's transformed, and he tells his story, and he writes this book that we now have to read as a testimony for the simple purpose that everyone, his desires, that everyone who reads it will see Jesus as the risen Messiah and believe and put their trust in him. The message of the day is a very simple one. Have you been born again? Not have you joined a church, not have you grown up in a church, but have you truly been born again? As we look at John 3, we see the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee, but not only a Pharisee, he was a ruler. He was one of the leaders among the Pharisees. He had a very high position. And John is telling us the story of, uh, of, of Jesus, and, and, and he's moving us to this decision about believing in him. And he starts out with this proclamation at the very beginning of the book that that. Jesus is one of the elements, one of the members of the triune God that has existed for all time. He then points us to John the Baptist who had followed, uh, who he had followed as well and who had proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God. Then he speaks of the first days of Jesus' ministry and how he establishes the disciples and he talks about Jesus' now listen to me, his first public miracle, turning the water into wine 
So what, what do you mean by first? Well, it's his first public. Mary knew something, folks, when she said, do whatever he says to do. And he talks then about Jesus cleansing the temple, coming in and chasing out the money changers for the first of several times that he will do, do this very thing as they had gone to the Passover for the first time. Many things had happened already up to this. The disciples had been, had been chosen. Miracles had taken place. And now at night, Nicodemus, this ruler of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus. Now, friends, listen. Every passage in the Bible is important and teaches us how to, how to live and teaches us what to believe. But this passage in John 3 is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible. This passage deals with eternal life and how we have eternal life. Eternal life is not our right simply because we exist or simply because our family loves us. Eternal life is not ours because of those things. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus has searched out Jesus. As a leader among the Pharisees, the very group that would band together and plot to have Jesus crucified, he is not like many of the others. He has recognized the power of God in Jesus. Have you recognized his power? Have you seen the wisdom of his words? Have you sensed the affirming power of his, of his spirit? Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Some think that's because he fears what the other Pharisees will say and what they'll think of him and how they'll treat him. Others think it's just so that he can be away from the crowd and get Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. But the point is, Jesus, Jesus doesn't send somebody. He doesn't send a servant. Jesus, on his own, comes and seeks out Jesus, and he says uh, to Jesus these words, We know... You've been sent by God. Now, we're not told who the we are. He doesn't explain who the others are. And Jesus speaks directly to the issue. There's a lot of debate when you read theologians about what, how Jesus answered him and why he answered him the way he did. And, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I think it's because he sees the heart and he goes straight to the issue in our lives. Jesus looks at Nicodemus in this moment when he says, we know you have to be sent from God. He says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the issue, friend. All eternity, listen, all eternity hangs right on these words. Jesus makes it very clear. It needs to be clear for us. We need to understand it for our children and our grandchildren. You must be born again. That's the deal. That is what Jesus came to this earth to offer, a chance for us to be reborn with a new, new nature. 
Nicodemus is astounded. He said, how can a full-grown man be born again? Can he go back into his mother's womb? But Jesus makes it clear. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is pointing back to the promise that God will raise up a people. This is why he asked him, you a teacher, you don't understand this? Jesus is pointing back to an Old Testament promise that God is going to raise up a people and he is going to write his word on their hearts. He's going to change them from the inside out. This people will act with a new heart, not a set of rules, not a law. The word, the word will become guardrails that affirm what is in the heart, and we'll always need those guardrails in this world. But he was talking about the fact that we are born of the seed of Adam, and our nature is of that seed. A seed that is separated from God. A seed that is in its own will, doing its own thing, feeling its own feelings. And he says, he has come that we can become born of the seed of Christ, of Jesus. And we can be reborn by the power of the Spirit. We can't get past this point and expect to make heaven our home. We can't get past this point and expect to be able to live the right way here. Listen, there are many who call themselves Christians but have never been born again. You don't want to be in that camp. You don't want to be just somebody who grew up in the church, like Paul talked about, didn't pay much attention and go out into heaven or into eternity. You want to look carefully at your life and ask yourself this question. Is there evidence in my life that I have been born again? He's saying we need a new source of information, and we need a new connection with God. Jesus doesn't say, listen, if you want to get in the kingdom of God, just get in a good church. He doesn't say, listen, if you, want to, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, just, just be a member, an active member in a good fellowship. Take the right classes, learn the right lessons, get baptized at the right time, be prayed over by the right religious leader, give to the right cause. It's not just an open attitude to the church. It's not just a thought that you are a Christian. It's not just something we sign up for. What Jesus says is that if you want to be in his kingdom, you have, to have an you have to experience an act of God on your life. God has to be invited into your life and a change has to happen. There's a miracle that has to take place. Your spirit needs to be resurrected, born anew by the Spirit of God. Jesus says you can't even begin to see the kingdom of God until that happens. This is why people who call themselves Christians but aren't disagree with the Bible. It's why they disagree with biblical truth. It's why they, they say they're a Christian and yet proclaim things that are clearly not Christian. Why? Because they have never truly been born again. The law of God, 
the, writ, the written Word of God, the spirit and nature of God has never come upon their life to a point where they have totally surrendered to Him and realized that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen carefully. You'll not find Jesus at any of His means. You say, how does this happen? How does this being born again thing, how does it, this, this really happen? Listen, you won't find Jesus at any of his meetings having an altar call. Do you understand that? You never see Jesus when say, okay, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to give your heart, life to me, come on down here and I'm going to pray for you. He never says that. Jesus never says in any of his meetings. He never says, okay, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, if you'd like to uh, accept me into your life, raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. He never says that. He never says, uh, okay, I'm going to say this prayer. We're all going to say it together. And if you'd like to accept me, you, know, you just say this prayer. And I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to come into your life. He never says, listen, if you really want to be right, you come down here and I'm going to anoint you and pray over you and baptize you and you will now be mine. He never says that. He never says, listen, if you want to be mine, here's what's going to happen. Take this class, and then we will confirm you at the end of the class, and you will be mine. He never, ever says anything like that. Never see anything close to it. None of those things ever take place. But here's what, it, what, what he says in John 3, 16. He says, whoever believes in him, will not perish. All throughout the book of John, if you read it, John talks about this message of believing. At the end of the book, he says very simply, I have written this so that you will believe and be saved. All throughout the book, he'll say, Jesus was up teaching, and while he was teaching, People put their belief in him. People believed him. They'll say, while this miracle was taking, taking place, people believed in him. While this was happening, people believed in him. They put their faith in him. Now listen, this belief, this belief, as he's talking about this over and over again, this belief is a full acknowledgement and a full acceptance of who Jesus is and what that means to your life. It's not just an, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, he, he's the son of God, you know, kind of like Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. No, it's, it's a full belief. There's a transformation. The Spirit of God bears witness to us in a moment just like this, that Jesus is truly the son of God, our creator, and he is the only way to salvation. And he is the Lord of our life. And when that really happens, everything about us, everything in us begins to change. The things in us that we once loved, we, we begin to not love them so much anymore, many of them. The things that we thought were natural and right, suddenly we find ourselves checked by them and uncomfortable with the words that were coming out of our mouth. We don't continue to 
use the language we used to use or be entertained by what we used to be entertained by or be caught up in the things we used to be caught up in. And some things that we thought weren't that exciting, all of a sudden we find ourselves drawn to them. Why? Because we've been born again. A new nature has been placed in us. Paul, Paul makes this clear in Romans. In Romans 10.8 he says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, eternity hangs right here. What's going to happen to me for eternity hangs right here. I'm not going to be able to come before God and say, listen, I was a, I was a preacher. Be, oh, well, we let all preachers in. You're not going to be able to come and say, oh, I was a worshiper. Oh, yeah, well, I let all, everybody who sings to me, I let them, all those in. I went to church all the time. Oh, yeah, all church members are in. Those aren't the criteria. The criteria is, have you been born again? Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, if you choose to be, if you'd like to be, I, I, would, I would encourage you to be. You know, if it's, if it's your choice, if it's your will, you ought to be. No, Jesus says, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you must be born again. This spiritual act of God must happen on your life. Some of you are in here and, and, and you've grown up around the church and, you know, you, you've got friends that have been around the church and your parents bring you to church and, and, and you're like, okay, I do this because I'm supposed to. You need to hear me today. It's not about any of that. All that's happened because your parents or the people who love you hope that you'll get in a place where you hear this message and you will open your heart to God and be born again. And when you're born again, there's evidence of that happening in your life because your nature is changed by the power of the Spirit of God. <clears throat> Many people will proclaim faith. They will say that they believe Jesus is Lord. They've simply learned the right answer. They know what to say. They may even verbally confess that he is Lord. But listen, this is a, a two-part requirement here. With the heart one believes and is justified. Justified means just as if you'd not broken the law of God. Born again, this belief means that we have, that, that is, it's a transformation issue. You are changed. You are born again because your heart believes. Your heart gets it. Your inner man sees it. You begin to see differently. You begin to think differently. You begin to feel differently. You begin to desire, to, to desire differently because you are a new creature. And if that hasn't happened to you, friend, 
If you haven't come to that point where you've willingly, joyfully begun to turn from things that the Bible says, says are wrong and begin to turn and live a different way, if that hasn't joyfully happened in your life, then you've got to ask yourself, have you really been born again? Why the heart? Because the heart is it's where the nature of man resides. This is where we, we are born again. We can say words with our mouth that are lies, but our heart beats within us of what we really believe. And when our heart beats with something, when our nature takes it on, we begin to follow it and we are changed. I get forms from uh, our national office every year. And they'll, 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 they ask me, uh, how many people were saved at your church this year? And I, I'll, you know, I can write them back and say, well, this many people raised their hand. This many people prayed a sinner's prayer that I know of. But I don't know if they're really saved or not. I'll ask in our staff meeting, how many people uh, responded to the altar calls in your, in your departments, children's department, youth department? That, that's, that's all well and good. But that's, that's, just, that's just part of it. There have been times when I've, I thought a person, you know, I, I thought a person had come, they came to the altar, and they, they have this, you know, momentary experience with God, and, and I leave that day, and I think, man, they got it today. They got it. They got it. And six months later, it's obvious they didn't. They didn't get it. They're back doing what they've always done, living the way they've always lived, far from God. And frankly, there's other people I've seen come to the altar, and I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know if they got anything or not. They just kind of caught up in what was going on. And a month goes by, two months goes by, a year goes by, two years go by, and they're growing and they're changing, and God's doing something in their life, and you realize, ah, they got it. They were born again. They were changed. A new nature was, pla pla was pl planted within them. See, friends, it's a heart issue. And this heart issue starts with this total surrender. Not total knowledge, but this total understanding that Jesus is my hope. My one and only hope. So here's the question. Have you been born again? Nothing wrong with altar calls. We're going to keep having them. Nothing wrong with asking people to raise their hands. We're going to keep doing that. Nothing wrong with saying sinner's prayers. We're going to keep saying them. They're all well and good if they lead you and help you in this full acceptance of Jesus as Savior and Lord. But hear me. You can do all of them, every one of them. You can do them every week, week after week. You can pray the prayer, raise your hand, come to the altar, and if you don't accept Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, if you don't have this life-transforming moment where he touches you and your nature is changed, you are as lost as you were the first day you walked into a church. You need the power of God. Now, here's the promise. The Bible says, listen, 
everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But this is a call, friend. This is a cry. This is a call of someone who is desperately lost, who realizes they are lost, realizes that the way they see the world and the way they're living the world does not match with what God says and how God tells us to live and that their nature is broken and they can't fix it themselves and they desperately cry out, God, save me. Jesus, help me. I need you. It's a call of desperation. It's a call of acknowledgement. It's a call of acceptance that comes when the Spirit moves on you and you cry out to Him. Nicodemus is an interesting guy. We see him in this conversation and John will later write, the man who doesn't believe in Jesus in the next few verses, he says, listen, if you believe in Jesus, grace of God's mind, if you don't believe him, the wrath of God remains on you. Later, we'll see Nicodemus among the Pharisees. And they're, trying, they're plotting and planning to try to kill Jesus. And Nicodemus speaks up and says, wait a second, are we doing this the right way? Is this the right way to do things? And they look at him and say, are you a Galilean too? They ridicule him, reject him. We'll see Nicodemus again later in John and at the end of the book when Jesus has been crucified. Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate to get Jesus' body to bury him and he and Nicodemus come and take the body of Jesus and prepare it and wrap it and place it in the tomb. Tradition tells us that Nicodemus will later be baptized by Peter and John. And that Nicodemus will be drummed out of the Sanhedrin because of his belief in Jesus. I don't want you to think for a second, friend. Sometimes we short sell this. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's going to cost you some things. It'll co- it may cost you some friends. It may cost you some position. But when you've been born again, you know the truth and none of it matters. You don't feel bad for yourself when you're cut off. You feel bad for them that they don't see. You're not broke, broken hearted over the things that cost you. You're broken hearted over what the world's missing out on. Because you've been touched by the power of the Spirit of God. Following Christ will cost you on this earth. We need to remember that. We need to understand it. But here's the question. What's your story going to be? When you stand before God someday, what's your story going to be? It's going to be a story of I was around church and I heard the message and I tried to be a good guy or a good gal, a good person. I got involved. Or is your story going to be a story of there came a day, there came a moment when God, I cried out to you and I put my faith in your son and your transforming presence touched me and I have been forever changed. In Jesus' name. 
That's what I want my story to be. I hope that's what your story is. Let's stand together and let's sing this song together. And Prayer teams, as we sing this song, will you come down and find a place around the front? The evidence of salvation is a transformed heart, a changed life. That's the evidence of it. You've been changed by the power of the Spirit. It's not, listen, it's, it's got to be really careful. It's not that we start doing things that makes us saved. It's when we're saved and we start changing things because we're saved. Because we want to. Because our heart's been transformed. You say, well, what do I do if I'm not there? I, what, what do I, you, you call out to Jesus. You keep calling out to Jesus. He promises us that everybody who calls onto him will be saved. You'll be transformed. And part of that process may be today. Come down to this altar and say, I, I really need Jesus to change my life. I want to be born again. You may have to go home today and spend a couple hours seeking God. You may have to spend a couple a week just saying, God, help me. Help me. His promise is if you seek him, you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. What you're looking for is that change that comes by the power of the Spirit of God moving on your life. It changes you from where you're able to say, I was this, now I'm this. This is what I used to be. This is what I've become. And it's not just because I've disciplined my life. It's because I can't, when I look at those old things that I used to be and I used to do, I'm embarrassed by them. I'm saddened by them. I'm brokenhearted by them. Because now I know what I'm really supposed to be. These next few moments, we're going to sing this song uh, again. And if you stand here today and say, I just want somebody to pray. I want to make sure my heart's right with God. I, I want to challenge you today. Your eternity hangs on this issue. Come down and let somebody pray with you. Now, maybe you have other issues you need to come down for. That's fine, too. There may be physical issues, whatever may be going on in your life. If you're standing there today and say, listen, I'm, I'm a little bashful about walking down. Look at the person standing next to you. Will you go with me? They'll be happy to come with you. But don't leave this place until you're certain that you've been born again. Don't leave this place if you have a need in your life without coming down and praying. Now, those of you who are born again, here, here's what I want to challenge you. Who do you know? Who do you know that you're not certain they're born again? In a few weeks, it's going to be Good Friday and Easter. Will you begin to pray every day for them? That they'll come to church on those weekends. And they'll discover Christ in their life. Listen, if you've been born again, you've got a burden for the lost. Now, here's one thing we're, I'm going to ask you to do. We put the cross, you know, our cross, our prayer cross out in the, in the entryway today. And if you have a friend that's lost that needs to come to Christ, we go by that cross and just write their name on it, roll it up, and just put it in one of the slots in that cross. And from now until Easter, we're going to be praying for them together. Amen? Lord, in Jesus' name, if there's someone here today who's not certain of their salvation, I pray your spirit would call them. They would know that today is their day move us into a place with you and let us meet with your spirit and let us truly be born again. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God bless you. It's good worshiping with you today. Go in the joy of the Lord. Grace and peace.